Magic Art Workshop. Hi, can you hear me, Dan? I can hear it. Are you getting my text messages? I am. I'm seeing this now. Okay. Oh, hello. I think I made it. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, can you hear us? <laughs> I can hear you now. What was the problem? I was don't know. It, did you, was it with a phone and then did you click telephone versus speakers and mic? We're trying to problem solve it too. Uh, I think I had everything was set up as as if you know there was no mute on or anything for the the video call. But when I came into the phone call, the invoice mm -hmm. call, mm -hmm. I had to change my microphone setting to the default. Right. Okay. I don't know. I I've been doing recordings, and I I think maybe it's just my computer not recognizing my hardware. Anyway. Mm Hi. -hmm. Hi. Um, I think we're trying to connect with uh, Marissa to make sure she can. <clears throat> Hello? Hello? Is that a, a fourth? That sounds like her. <laughs> I think we're all here. <laughs> I've <got> myself. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Free and clear. <laughs> Although, no, I can't see anyone. Well, so. we're just doing audio. Okay, great. Wow, and she's gone. Are you still here? <laughs> I'm here. Okay, great. Hi, Marissa. Hi, Dan. I can't hear you. This is amazing. Um, are we waiting for more folks? Um, so we've got Hannah, Marissa, me, and Dan. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Everyone's here? Yes, yeah. Then, then that would be it. Oh, my gosh. This Ooh. is great. Hi, Hannah. I've not met you before. Oh, nice to meet you. With, tell me your name. Uh, Dan. Pause. Dan. Oh, Dan. Cool. Okay. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who else? I know Marissa and Danny and who's the uh, third? And Dan and there's the actually. Third? I'm missing someone. Um, that sort of I don't know. There's a fifth there's a entity, goat. but we don't. <laughs> I don't think they're real. <laughs> I, Okay, I thought it was crazy because I saw that too. I was like, all right, well, maybe I'm counting it wrong. It's been a weird morning. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I think that's just, it's just for those who can't be here today. Oh my gosh. For our homie? Mm -hmm, great. Mm -hmm. Aww. Great. So, Dan, Dan, where are you calling? Where are you now? I'm in Seattle. Oh, Seattle. Okay. Yeah. And, and you, Marissa, you're on the West Coast. I am. I'm now in Eugene. Uh, West Coast. Coast. <laughs> Hannah, where are you? I'm in Iowa City. Oh my God, I love this. Oh, oh, I could cry. Yeah. The internet highway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that that probably won't be my last bad internet joke. Just forewarning you. <laughs> I'm up for it. All puns on board. <laughs> Thank you. This is the party I want to be at. Um, so I, from what I can gather, I, um, this is really however we want it to be, this conversation. And so we can, just to sort of give you a little bit of, give you notes, I 
gathered those readings together in part like because they directly reference my work, some of my work. Um, all of they directly reference all of my work in general, but some of them in particular reference the pieces that we're talking about in specific. Um, and it's not necessary to reference them at all. We can just throw down and talk. If y'all want to talk about, we can talk about anything. So um, it would, um, Marissa. I I obviously know you, and I know your practice. Um, Hannah, would you mind telling me about you a little bit? I want to like have like a real conversation. Oh yeah, um, I am working mostly in sculpture, and I'm living in Iowa City, but keeping a studio in Chicago as well. Oh cool. And um, have been doing this sort of dual citizenship thing for the last year and a half. Um, and my partner Mike Gibbiser and I live here in Iowa City and teach at the University of Iowa. Mm. And um, yeah, it's been it's been really great. This is a big city of literature, and so there's there's like a big lit culture here. <laughs> um, and we've we've just sort of been working together on video projects, sound projects, and Mike has his own filmmaking practice and teaching here too. So that's sort of me and my context right now in the living room. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Oh, we're. we're Oh, we're all pedagogues. I love that. We all teach. That's great. That makes my heart feel good. <laughs> Not that it wouldn't feel good if one of us didn't teach, but you know, I don't know. You get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dan, I, was, I took some time this morning to look over the, the PDF that you put together. Yeah. Um, and thank you for doing that. Um, and, and also just looking over the three works that you, <clears throat> that we sort of talked about um, for this confab, yes. um, one being the um, Goodbye Farewell, the final episode from MASH, mm -hmm. um, and the second being um, Who Puts Words in My Mouth, the conversation about the word realness and the use of that word, um, but, but that also being um, a reperformance of a conversation that came before. Mm -hmm. um, so I was thinking a bit about that and I read some of the bell hooks representing whiteness in the black imagination and kind of came upon this quote that really stuck out to me it says this contradictory longing to possess the reality of the other even though that reality is one that wounds and negates is expressive of the desire to understand the mystery to know intimately through imitation as though such knowing worn like an amulet a mask will ward away the evil, the terror. Um, and thinking about, you know, this, uh, this knowing intimately through imitation and thinking about um, who says words as an imitation um, and also the mash, um, the mash piece and thinking of, and just wondering like, what is it that um, maybe you're trying to get to know through through reperforming these dialogues? Right. Um, okay. So how to begin this answer? Um, I think I think I've always been interested in this the kind of the problems of um, video and photography and. Um, always interested in this 
in what it's actually doing. Um, so if you're sort of if you if you think about like mimicry in colonial discourse, it 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 really is this just I mean highly problematic state as we know we can all agree on that. However, it does identify the otherness. It does sort of bring about the um, like it articulates the disturbance really well. So if we think about that in relationship to um, uh, goodbye, farewell, um, which is the supposedly the most uh, highly watched television episode of all time, um, which is kind of a crazy notion to me, but I love saying that and I love how kind of um, just outrageous that is. Um, but it is this sort of thinly veiled um, television show that's set in the Korean War, right? But really it's about Vietnam. And um, if we were to think about what it's doing, what it's mimicking, it's not, it's not doing that at all. But, but then in reality, what is our relationship with this medium? You know, we you know, as a viewing audience are consuming um, this idea of violence, this idea of tragedy, and then wrapped up inside of all that is the language that articulates, oh, I mean, this long history of misogyny in our country, um, long history of xenophobia in the United States. Um, I feel like if you look to the language in that episode itself, and in all the episodes, but in particular this episode, I'm really interested in that in that it is the highest watched television episode of all time. So people, millions of people are consuming this information and accepting it. Um, so sort of just to briefly address your question with that piece, um, and then with who says... Go ahead. I was just going to jump in and say, I mean, I think, like, I guess I'm wondering why you chose to reenact it, you know, and, and I, I was looking at that script and, um, and actually watching some of the final episode because I wasn't familiar with it. Yeah. Um, and that last scene is really emotional. It is. You know, and saying, like, I think one of the last lines is, I can't imagine what this place would have been like if I hadn't found you here. Yeah, they're all and, talking about their future, what they're going to do after. Yeah. Yeah, and I, then I think like, well, the the piece as I would have run into it is is like this table where I would come and 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 reenact this with other people that mm -hmm. I either knew or didn't know or just had sort of run into in that moment. Right. And I and I guess like that line, I can't imagine what this place would have been like if I hadn't found you here. Like while that's a line in that script, it's also like said between two people in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and wondering, like if 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 you're using the dialogue as a way of connecting people in um, in the moment in some specific way because the dialogue's so emotional, you know, or um, I mean, I guess I have a lot of questions that about <laughs> about this one, yeah, and also like like is there a reason that you picked it, like? Were you saying goodbye to something? I don't know. I just, yeah. I think that dialogue is funny because, it, you remember, has, does anyone watch Orange is the New Black? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's this scene, I don't know what season it's in, but um, 
two women are they're in this theater class and so they're enacting the scene but then this and the scene that they're enacting is about I don't know like a grocery store but that it ends up being about their relationship and so I guess in this I was wondering if this mash scene was all of was about something else or if it was about getting people to talk about something else? Um, I think, I think a lot of things happened in, in that, um, broadcast slash performance and that were really interesting to me. Um, I collaborated with, um, two other, an artist and a curator on that project. And, um, I, it was, this idea of, um, I mean, honestly, the gallery um, was closing that we were we were doing this at uh, New Capital, and New Capital was this interesting space where you entered you entered the gallery. Um, you could enter it from above and walk up the stairs and go through what you imagine this normal warehouse space to be to this white cube. Or you could enter through the basement and then walk up these like very uh, precarious stairs to the gap to the white cube. And um, I yeah. thought I was really interested in this sort of underbelly of language, this underbelly of conversation. And um, I have you know a long history with Mash and my family. My mother's a Noir nurse, and she loved Mash. Um, and I would, growing up, I would constantly fight with her because I never wanted to watch that. I wanted, I wanted to watch Carol Burnett. And so sometimes I won and sometimes I didn't. And my mom was like transfixed by that television show. And so, um, I started going back into the scripts for the shows and cause I always just thought the show was so weird. Um, and I always found like the like the dumb misogynist humor just so close to my own family's mm. approach to life honestly mm -hmm. um that uh i was like i i just want to look at the language of this and it was a comfort to me that other people were like oh well let's do this together let's look at this language together and so rather than going back and having it be some kind of revisionist effort it was really this this sort of revealing so in this space of mimicry it becomes this other thing entirely which reveals the language which shares this moment i think in the moment of the performance as it was being broadcast upstairs on the live feed there were moments where we would break and and laugh and and come out of the dialogue. There were moments where we were just speaking the dialogue. Um, and there were moments where I think the words had an effect on us. I mean, mm. the language, language is bodily. And, um, and so I think we didn't, none of us knew what would, what would become of it, but it was a way for me in this live broadcast to separate out mimicry and to really think about and look at this image versus experience sort of situation. Mm -hmm. And it was all through language and like literally parsing out what this language would mean in the, in, in the present moment.
Cricket. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, and the who says words in my, I mean, I don't have to just keep talking, y'all, if you don't, you know what I mean? Um, but, the <laughs> but I can. <laughs> um, Sorry, I, I didn't mean to, like, dominate that moment with, with my question, I, but I, but I was super curious about and just thought maybe it'd be a good place to start the conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's a big question. And I think um, this, I think video, um, our relationship to broadcast media, our relationship to imaging is just sits right alongside our lives. Um, and it can seek to um, maybe identify itself as representing one thing when in actuality it's it's doing something completely different. Um, and I've, I've always been fascinated in that. It's, you know, it's the difference of like the like terrible um, misogynist jokes in my family where, you know, it, they're, you know, tongue in cheek. Yeah. Yeah. But actually if you listen to, if you listen to that, and you identify that language, it's violent. And, um, mm -hmm. it, you know, and so I think there just comes a point where you start isolating things out and you're like, nope, I actually, and I, and I think it's, I think it's very, it's very prescient. You know, this is our contemporary moment, you know, for a lot, for a lot of people where, you know, you know, yeah. I don't know. I, I, that's where I sort of want to, maybe interject with maybe like a concern that I have with sort of what I'm a question I'm asking myself right now, which is like, and what made me think I sort of came out of a lot of the readings and looking at this, this packet that you put together um, about how we know something mm. um, and how we counter um, the kinds of like violence or like that dissonance of being being some way but not necessarily being accepted in the way that we are that that being a that being a subtle difference but not sort of like communicating those differences and we talk about yeah, Danny you opened with this question about othering and from the bell hooks writing and I think about right now with the climate that we're in um, what it means to sort of counter the kind of um, defining that's happening that like to counter the uh the some assumptions that are being made that like to suspend this moment um of people being sort of thrown up in the air <laughs> like all of the politics have done to us i think mm -hmm. um and and think about what it means to know something like this is just sort of what came out of all of these texts to me was how do we know what what we know basically right. um, how do we relate to each other about what we know and those things being different knowing ourselves knowing other people as something other than they themselves might recognize right. you know what I mean yeah I know exactly what you mean I think that's um, I think that's a really great way of thinking about like kind of boiling down kind of the very core of 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 those readings. So yeah, I think that's really pretty appropriate. Um, I think 
in terms of now, I don't know. I think I think we're constantly learning. Um, I think um, to try and know oneself is the and is the best we can do. Um, and then from there, we can charge ourselves with how we need to act and how we need to be in the world and and whether those things align or not. I mean, they're up to us to do, right? Um, I think for me, um, and I just, you know, like, I feel, I, I share a lot of personal information, so I hope that doesn't make anyone feel uncomfortable, but that's just sort of who I am. Um, you know, it's like my family, you know, I, I am queer, I am a white Hispanic, and um, my family has done a really great job of really washing away any brown history. And um, so much so in this sort of neo in the in the neoliberal um, adoption of what it, of these ideas of Americanness of these you know of whiteness and um, and so I always I always thought about that I I always felt like there was something weird and contradictory with how my family acted and how the things that they said and it's like they never it's like they never looked in the mirror you know like my uncle's brown and you know mm. so it was so for me like what has helped me is sort of looking to our history and looking to the things that have happened that you know have created the situations that we're in you know like I don't know do you know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. To, like no, that knowing yourself, identifying yourself within some of this history helps you to also sort of be grounded. Right. <coughs> right. I also... But you've, you sound like you've had to do that work on your own is what you're saying. Yeah. Or, and, and this is not to say that like um, that that is... Um, that's entirely the case because I do really believe strongly in community and finding yourself reflected in the people that you want to be around and the people that you identify with. Community is in, is incredibly important um, and feeling safety in that <clears throat> is, is huge. Um, which is also this part of like in who says words in my mouth, you know, it's this weird you know, reperformance of this texting conversation that is this mild flirtation between these two people. And in it, you know, one person learns about a whole history of something that they didn't know about in this really sort of bizarre texting moment and this casual space of quote-unquote community. You know what I mean? So I think there's that too. We learn so many things outside of the classroom in our community among our peers because um, because hopefully there's love and there's caring um, and there's safety you know but we also learn mm -hmm. from all the negative shit as well so I don't know but I will say that having grown up in the family that um, I grew up in that does sort of make that does help me identify where I situate myself and the people that I need to be around in order to feel like I'm living the life I got to live, you know? Mm 
I mean, I don't know. Um, it's interesting you're talking about like knowing and uh, I also think of trust in this. So there's an element of like um, trusting the people that are around you and in your sphere and um, I feel like that's pretty important as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily feel like I always trusted my family. What do you mean? Well, I mean, I think their objective, objectives were different, you know? Like, I think um, for them, they thought that working in a particular way um, meant that they needed to live a particular life that looked a, a particular way, and they needed to they needed to be white. So this is sort of a conversation about passing, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and which also is um, in the um, the strange sisters reading, which had a huge just effect on me that. Um, Sons of the Movement book, um, Trans Theory, and I I felt like I read that around the time that I made I Killed a Trap B, um, and again, it, it really folds into this conversation of um, trust and what is this thing that's happening, um, and quite literally, I I had that experience where <laughs> I mean, so my mom is deathly allergic to bees. So I grew up having the whole EpiPen fear that my mom was going to die in front of me and I wasn't going to be able to get this fucking pen. And um, yeah. oh, yeah. so, so in the course of things, I am not allergic to bees. I'm not allergic, I'm not allergic to wasps, any of these things. And so in the course of things, um, I have this fear of bees <laughs> because it's associated with my mom fucking dying. And so I had this experience around this time that I was reading this book and before I went to Harold Arts Residency where I literally, there, a bee got in the house. I had no idea why. I trapped it under a glass jar and then was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this bee. And so the, so the bee literally just sat there and I didn't let it go and it just died. And I thought about that bee and I still think about that bee because I was so paralyzed by what my relationship to this thing meant. Like it would hurt me if I let it go. It wouldn't let me it wouldn't let me let it be free. Um, because I had done this thing to it, um, and I, it was, um, it was this weird, you know, profound moment that we have all the time, these things we have, happen all the time, and, and I started thinking about, like, who, who I am, and because of this reading, I, you know, at this time, I was really interested, and I had come out of a really long-term relationship with, um, a woman, who, had, who very, like, who thought of herself as 
and is a gold star lesbian, as, as it's called, and that she's never been with a man, which I always felt was really fucking weird that it's a name, there's a name for it. And, um, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, now you know. Here, casual, casual knowledge. Um, and Thank you. <laughs> right? Really uncomfortable, really weird to me. And I broke up. In, and, and in the course of things, that relationship ended up being really heteronormative. Shocker, right? And um, mm. so I came out of that relationship, and I was like, I've never identified as, as that relationship identified me. And it was this opportunity to, to really embrace my queerness and, and not negate the fact that I've dated male-identified people, I've dated trans-identified people, like, I've dated a whole spectrum of people in my queerness. And I've never referred to myself as star anything other than wonderful star human. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Cue laughter. Um, and so... So I came out of that relationship really, really insecure because I felt beat down by so many aspects of this relationship and that I didn't look queer. You know, I passed as a femme. I still pass as a femme, as a white skinned femme. And these things, you know, like I am, but, you know, I'm also Latina. Like I'm also, you know, like I, I've also dated men. And so, so that reading felt that reading just empowered me to think about my visibility and that if I am going to be visible and I'm not going to be visible at the same time. If you think about um, uh, Invisible Man, that little quote, that little portion of that reading, I read that in college, and that reading had a profound effect on me as well because I felt like, wow. Like he's giving a name to things that I um, that I felt for years, even though I'm, you know, I'm not an African American person. And um, and then as my thinking has evolved, and as I made started to think about this piece and read that reading, I um, I don't know. I was interested in the visibility that these conversa conversations would give me, and to really kind of put, like, put these conversations under a jar in a minute where I can, I would, I would say something and that person would respond to me and I could think about all of these things in that moment, in that live moment. That makes sense. Well, so then when you think about naming or identifying yourself, yeah. Like gold star, gold star human, or I don't know. <laughs> I think I actually already just misquoted you, <laughs> but um, <laughs> just thinking about whether or not I was actually just talking to a friend about this today, who's struggling with her queer identity mm -hmm. now that she's moved back to be with her family in Iowa City, and she's been in New York and sort of carved out this whole, um, she had a whole social life that was supportive of her vision of herself. And then when she came back home, she had to redefine herself and, and is in the process of redefining herself in relationship to her family and these constructions that she's having to sort of step back into. Yeah. 
Wow. And she was saying that by defining herself, she's becoming more at ease with herself. And by, like, giving her, calling herself queer, like, really, like, taking ownership of that, then she feels like she can make more decisions. Yeah. And I've sort of thought about this, like, what is it about the moment, like, before you name yourself or something, something, before you give something a name, it could be a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are a lot of possibilities for a person or even a thing in the world before you say exactly what it is. And maybe that's disorganized, you know, that, like, that might actually not be a productive space to be in forever. But it also might be a desirable space to be in. Because it's sort of secret. It's sort of like it's sort of like possible and un, as an undefined thing. Like, can it be somehow more powerful? You know what I mean? Like, does that does that does that sound like um, a sort of like a? It's one way or the other, or is this a is this a disorganized way of thinking about this, or <laughs> is it possible to hold the thing in the in the in between space? Right. Um, I, I mean, I guess I would. Ra- I guess I don't think it's disorganized as much as it's nonlinear, and it's this thing of. Um, I, I mean, I totally empathize with your friend. You know, I think we are constantly, constantly defining and redefining ourselves, and um, but there's some truisms that that feel right that you that in time you can you can accept and it it is a little bit like there's no turning back now you know um and to for me and for me to accept my queerness is to accept everything that came before it and so part of my ability to be who i am is my ability to also in like in feminist vernacular change whatever the fuck I want to change about my life and um, so so I think that I think that's a constant I think it's a nonlinear constant that we are learning to understand ourselves and in the face of different contextualizations such as family which is its own mind fuck um, <laughs> we're we're forced often forced to do that um, but this mm-hmm. happens all the time. This happens in the classroom. We've all seen this, right, with our students struggling to um, figure out an identity that fits them. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes based on who we are and maybe our experiences, it's a little bit more graceful than others what that looks like. Um, but it's it's still the same thing. It's still this sort of beginner's mind of, like, figuring out what fits, what's right, what what can you lose? What can you gain? And um, and what stays along for the ride? You know. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Dan. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm so quiet, but I'm. I actually have heard you talk a lot about your work, Dan. And it's really nice just to listen. And thank you for being so generous <laughs> and sharing all these like lovely details and anecdotes. And um, it's really interesting. I think that that last thing you said brought me back to thinking about. Because I think I've, I, and I'm trying to formulate a question here, perhaps. It's <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a lot of girl. Like complex things swirling in my head. Um, mm-hmm. 
the kind of questions of adaptation and resistance and, um, you know, the story of your uncle and the question of passing and, and even, you know, mouthing other people's words, miming others' gestures, I mean, the, the performative quality of a lot of this and like what each of these affords, I guess, is some, something that I'm, I'm really interested in thinking about, like what, what is afforded by a form of adaptation and what is afforded by a form of resistance, I guess, mm -hmm. or I don't know if you think about those as like, right. as ways to formulate oneself. But. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what, I mean, it, it, it falls in that fun mimicry conversation, you know, and um, I think, um, are you all having a hard time hearing me? There's like a weird air situation. No, I hear I hear air, but mm -hmm. I don't have a problem hearing you. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, I think just to sort of cite a specific example, like for um, for my brown skin family, like that's their adaptation to white culture, um, to whiteness, has afforded them. Um, a relationship to class hmm. that um, that they wanted and respect that they that they deem important through that class situation hmm. and um, I think the the problems of adaptation um, are isolation hmm. and um, and feeling like you've adapted so much that perhaps maybe um, you start asking questions of, of yourself. Um, Some sort of schism or like a, an inability to actually identify right. or like you, you, you put away something in some sense or... Yeah, exactly right. I mean, it is that thing that video does. It is, it is documenting something, but what is it doing? <laughs> you know, like he, you know, my uncle is living this particular life, but like actually stepping outside of that life and asking critical questions of yourself. This is, this is harder to do, you know, and also like generationally, you know, like he, and, and within that family structure, you know, like he wasn't taught to do that, you know? So like I wasn't necessarily thought to do that either, but I grew up at a very different time and I came up at a different time and I've always had my art practice you know, that helped me think of, think through things. So I think in one way, adaptation can, um, can give you safety, you know. I think, I think if you think about adaptation in the way that we were sort of talking about goodbye, farewell, where people were literally coming in and performing this text and sometimes the text would break and sometimes it wouldn't, you know, it's that schism that you're talking about. I think it can provide safety. I think it can, I think adaptation can help, help you move in a particular direction. But if you're not aware of that adaptation, then I think something, I think something's off a little bit, mm -hmm. or it might, it might impose other questions later on down the line. Mm -hmm. I can't, I do think that isolation and um, and community are at stake when we start thinking about adaptation. Hmm. And resistance? <laughs> I mean, I think um, again, I think isolation and community are at stake when you when you start resisting, when when you start questioning that adaptation and um, 
you determine you determine whether that's critical or not for you, you know. Um, but I, I I do think in that same way, you know, as we start as we form ourselves, we're constantly forming ourselves, and so resistance is a daily thing. Um, it's a daily act of doing right by yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's doing wrong to do right, and and not to speak in such binary terms because I don't necessarily believe that, but believe in that language per se. But I think that sometimes we make complicated decisions that um, that later we realize, oh, I could have done I could have done that a little bit differently, or I could have, and then you move forward and you learn from it. You know, I don't know. I think resistance is also a constant, a constant, um, a constant way of living in the same way adaptation is you know that makes me think about 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 passing again clearly right and and thinking about um, visibility versus invisibility Um, and I feel like adaptation is a way to be invisible Mm. maybe or, or, or specifically from my experience you know I think about being in junior high school and and being severely bullied because of I was just an effeminate young boy and mm-hmm. and that made me incredibly visible and so for me in order to not have that attention it would be crucial that I would pass but what that meant was just being invisible mm-hmm. and so I, I I'm I don't know um, yeah I think that's 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 right in there I that rings so true to me and it seems to be like a tool, right? It's like sometimes I want to pass, sometimes I want to deny. I want right. to say, no, I'm, I'm going to rebel against that or I'm just going to be something different. Right, mm-hmm. right. But, you know, it's that thing of like, um, and in, you know, Sons of the Movement, like, um, talks about like the privilege. It is, it is this sort of like bizarre privilege of passing but it's a complicated passing because you're not necessarily visible that's true that's totally Um, true and you know I mean how many weddings have you gone to where you're like don't talk to me don't talk to me don't talk to me don't talk to me am I right you know like where you don't want to be visible and you don't want to be that like only queer family member or and um, and then there are times where you you need to be you know you need to you need to use it you need to be visible so I, I, it is it is it is a privilege and a complication mm-hmm. and the pa- I mean, a power that you could choose to do when I I keep thinking about I can't remember actually which text you included that had uh, the question about uh, veiled faces was it in white in the light yes oh. but, okay <laughs> about whether or not like Seeing your having your face as an, a visible or invisible thing that like there might actually be power that you wield in that state of invisibility, right? Um, and I'm thinking about this actually from a personal standpoint that there are times when I think if I'm invisible, if I can make because I'm uncomfortable, if I can make myself invisible, then I can do this other thing. I can do this thing freely mm-hmm. in a way that's really just a switching of my, the way I think of myself in that moment. And then it is a privilege that I can step out of that and say, okay, like now I'm, now you can see me however you want, however you 
you see me, but you know that like there's a there's a switch that goes on that allows me to do something differently when I conceive of myself as fitting in or being invisible in this way. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It is. I mean, it and that, that has to do sometimes with like walking across a room full of men or sitting in a meeting where mm-hmm. I think, oh, I have to say this thing, but I I'm afraid that I will be sort of outing myself as in conflict with these ideas if I say this thing. Absolutely. And, yeah, I agree. <clears throat> that completely resonates with me. Yeah. Yeah. Versus, you know, which, which informs so much of, like, my relationship to the camera, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Behind the cam, like you being behind the camera in that mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. That like sort of every moment to photograph someone is a restorative moment potentially um, to make someone visible and legible to themselves, and it's a, also a collaborative moment. Um, yeah, it seems like the visibility becomes safe too. You know, you're you're creating these safe spaces to be visible. Right. Right. And within the camera, you're saying? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. Well, and that, like, in, and, um, in doing these things, so, like, say, in a moment where you are imitating or, like, you're taking on this dominant culture or this moment when you are being yourself that, all of those things happen in waves that they aren't permanent is also mm-hmm. something that isn't is outside of privilege and class too it's just a matter of time which I think is interesting it's like has it has nothing to do with um, so sociology it just has to do with the passing of time so you claim yourself in one as one thing at one moment mm-hmm. you might be seen as one thing at one moment but you'll also be seen as something else in another moment because that's just that's just how it works. You know what I mean? Like that there's memory, but there's also this strange sort of re- rewriting that happens. What do you What do you guys think? I'm interested in that, Hannah. But I also wonder, like, that I feel like what we're talking about is very much rooted in like physical space, right? Like in in people being present in whatever in real life or whatever IRL. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what like um like because media apparatuses have become so so powerful in so many ways how much control we have or like what the distancing of our control over that is in some way with like the kind of new media infrastructures that that infiltrate and kind of uh, in some sense I think yeah influence our or I don't know have have sway over some of this kind of control that we feel about passing or not or I don't know I don't know if you guys feel that there's more or less I feel like I'm very out of control often like in media spaces where like I can't necessarily make it do what I want it to do <laughs> right like there's something else uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 you about your are you thinking about being sur- surveilled too that like there's this sort of like being captured in some way um, yeah but even like I I need to understand the, the media well enough to know then how I present myself in a certain way on that media. You know, like it's a whole other set of being aware of like how this thing works. And if I'm not, I feel like I don't actually have 
any holes into that like space or I, I don't know ways of adapting or resisting like we're saying like that awareness um, which I think you know a lot of us develop a social awareness of that you know through just being in school being in public <laughs> to having to deal with social apparatuses right and now mm -hmm. there's kind of a, a whole other apparatus on top of that right um, that doesn't get turned off with the television switch necessarily no that's uh, God that's the absolute truth I think that um, I I mean, I can't help but think about that sort of in relationship to this idea of like losing control or wanting control. So it's in that same way, I don't know if we will ever know every inch about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like maybe, maybe. That feels good actually. <laughs> yeah, in like 20 years, maybe I'm going to learn something else about myself that I couldn't have known right now. So, but what I do know, and to sort of use your specific example of like being able to know something in the ins and outs of something to know how it works in order to how to use it. Mm -hmm. I think rather than sort of setting out to say, okay, I need to know this thing. Um, I think maybe knowing who you are in terms of knowing this thing hmm. it seems pretty relevant like the things that I want to care about you know um, and if I don't care about them how do I negotiate that in that moment to to a place that feels okay with representation or without representation of myself you know like hmm. um, I do and if, and if I don't know something um, like I know who I am and the way I like to learn and so if I decide that I don't care about that that thing in that moment then I'm like okay I've got to figure out how how I need to understand this in order to move forward and just be myself with mm -hmm. it you know because you're not gonna you're still gonna be you on the other side of that knowledge maybe you know I don't know mm -hmm. but there is there is a whole other other space of representation that we that we continue to navigate um, that is that references us that like these whole series of reference these whole series of like um, re-performances in all of the peripherals that navigate our lives and so we're in constant negotiation of that I think mm -hmm. yeah actually that's really interesting Dan it makes me think because I think I think I've been, I've personally been reading like a lot of Hitchens Spiral and like this mm -hmm. doubling back of things in some sense, you know, where like yeah. the image of the thing and the thing itself becomes so one, right? So your projection of self or even what is projected back on you being so deeply uh, tied together, but perhaps there is you know a form of resistance in in kind of um, claiming self knowledge and identity in a very particular way. And I'm trying to formulate what I'm thinking. <laughs> thinking and talking don't always go together. <laughs> yeah, true enough. Um, but I invariably do them <laughs> to a greater or lesser degree. But um, yeah, yeah I, I think you're talking about like a fluid identity, but one that is is not necessarily constituted completely from okay. like a social or an externalized perspective, right? Like that that you also are. Um, have power in, in naming your own boundaries, right? In, right? in kind of taking a position and knowing what that position is 
-hmm. and that being kind of, yeah, a, a stoppage of some of these things, but I think can be really overwhelming and really um, powerful, like from external forces. Right. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, oh, I was going to say something. Uh, it was really good, I promise. No, um, <laughs> oh, no I, I was going to say, though, that's like, that's the other thing of like um, also negotiating like live space and the spaces that just to sort of bring it back to um, to this moment, the confab moment, the conversational, the dialogic moment. Like that's 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 also a wonderful space for to be visible to someone and to like negotiate something in a moment. Also, like I don't know if either of you or any of you do this, I, Danny knows this of me, but often for me, um, because I had pretty intense um, learning disability, I didn't, I didn't know how to read until I was like in fourth grade. And so sometimes, but I've always been highly verbal, and so sometimes it takes me actually saying words and hearing me saying them, and um, I can negotiate that in the moment about how I feel about that language, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's that <laughs> thinking and talking at the same time, but literally, I have to do it often. So, mm. but that's the sort. Of, that's also the space, uh, a wonderful space of like awareness and visibility. Mm. Or it can be sometimes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um. Were you gonna, who is, was someone going to say something? I heard a breath. Oh, no. I was just going to say it's also, I think, uh, really a, a more vulnerable space, which I find really interesting, like the thinking and talking. Like if you have it pre-formulated, you don't really need to be vulnerable. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. um, there's something that's kind of, yeah, that openness, I think, allows for a different uh, type of engagement. That's really interesting to think about. It's interesting. I... I have a completely different feeling about like I'm totally fine with a vulnerable live moment and there's something about putting down language the visibility of language which totally is personal and my my history that feels so concretized sometimes that I, it causes it causes stress mm -hmm. the pinning down of it mm -hmm. it's true yeah. it's true so you're on the hook for that word forever. <laughs> I know. I mean, I was thinking about this the, the other day. Like, if you if you wrote a foreword about and anything that you wrote, because it does have that sort of weight to it, and suddenly you read it back to yourself and you think, oh my god, really? Wait, if I could amend this, it, with each passing moment, you sort of want to amend it again because it's not flexible enough. And I was thinking, like about whether or not I know of a writer who has a foreword that is sort of universally applied to their writing that's like, by the way, this is how I feel right now, but not forever. Wow, interesting. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's so true. I would, um, I would really be interested in, in reading that forward. And I'm, it's a fantastic problem to have. I feel like, I don't know. Ursula Gwynn like might have might have a forward like that, um, <laughs> right? I don't know. I just feel like she's so interested in 
you know, coining and and decontextualizing language in this wonderful way. Like, I don't yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think that is that is the hour. That is the confab hour. But I feel like I, could, I know I'm like I feel like I could confab all day. Um, <laughs> this has been great, and um, yeah, I it feels really um, I don't know friendly. It's nice. It's nice to talk to other artists. Um, it's nice to hear what people are thinking about these ideas. Um, yeah, so I really I really appreciate. Um, everyone's time. It's nice. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I like I like you guys. That was fun. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm like, can we have a part two concept? <laughs> it does feel like these these ideas take some time to unpack. I feel like yeah, I, I wrote like a whole page of notes already. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, you know, it's that thing of like the. I mean, this I feel like is way better than an artist talk necessarily so it's all, like pending on the format and pending what you expect out of the moment because this really did feel like this sort of ongoing conversation and like the Q&A that you want to be in versus the Q&A that you don't want to be in <laughs> we've all been there <laughs> so, um, so yeah thanks thanks Dan um is the call ending right now? Is that what's happening? Are we in? Is this over? Sure. Um, and I just want to thank you also for the packet. I didn't have a chance to read it in full, but I'm looking forward very much. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like a... I, I love it. Yeah, the really good text. Like, I'm just... I'm going to have to reread it again. And, again. and I think... I don't know... Um, these are these are all like JSTOR articles. I was trying to figure out whether or not it's okay for me to send to a friend. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, and if you know, if you need any, I don't know, if you if you need any follow up in terms of like help with getting anything. I mean, y'all have access to JSTOR, but um, I don't know if I can help in any way. Let me know. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. All right. Yeah, thanks for getting us together. I know, Danny, thank, thank you. you. Absolutely. <laughs> Look forward to more confabs in the next month. All right. Awesome. I'm, I'm going to be looking. More soon. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Dialogic Art Workshop.